to the Y Hockey Periodical Podcast. Living up to the periodical name once again, but this is going to be a jam-packed show. Matt here, along with your friend and ours, Tommy. Hello again. Good to see you. Hello. We have Glad a lot to, be to get to on this show. It's a, it's going to be a busy one. Uh, by the way, of course, make sure you listen to the show with Corey Schneider a couple weeks ago. Obviously, always great to talk with Corey about everything hockey-related. We had a good hour and a half discussion on the show, and then we spent another hour talking about other things, but we weren't recording. It's always fun to talk with Corey about all sorts of hockey things and other things because the Bengals are in the AFC Championship game. Good for him. He gets to root for a football team that isn't hilariously incompetent. I wonder what that's like. Anyway, I'm going to... Cleveland would not know. Well, the football team that I root for wouldn't know either. Boy, oh boy. Continue to follow my Twitter account for takes on how bad Trent Baalke is. If you think Dale Talon was bad, Trent Baalke is a thousand times worse. Anyway... On this show, because we have so much to get to, I'm going to put time codes in the description on Podbean, and you can click to the discussion you want to listen to most. If you're mostly interested in hearing what we think about the Panthers road trip and Jacob Chicken, you can opt to that. If you're interested in hearing about the Flyers discussion, which is going to come later, Keith Yandel, you can opt to that. There's a lot to get to. Uh, a lot of interesting hockey things I want to talk about. The first thing, though, we have to talk about is the unfortunate spate of racist incidents in this sport the last couple of weeks. What happened with the uh, San Jose Barracuda with Poco and Mama, uh, that was cut and dry. Somebody said racist things to him, and that went the way you thought it would. I think he was suspended, uh, the player, for 30 games. And then what happened with Jordan Panetta? And there's not really much to say about it because, you know, what are you else to say? Racist things are bad, obviously. This sport has quite a history with it. Like, we thought we may have grown from the Devontae Smith-Pelly incident in Chicago a couple of years ago. What happened, I think it was with Wayne Simmons back when uh, and wasn't that the what who was the player with the banana peel thrown at him in well canada, that was I two in one years and that was preseason in canada was wayne simmons with the flyers yes, they right. were um, I, I thought it was wayne simmons yes in simmons. somewhere in the gta yes and so we know that this sport has a very bad history with this we understand that and we know that this sport has erected barriers that makes it very hard for people of color to get into the sport for obvious reasons whether it be cultural financial what have you we know this so I don't like the predominant emotion of this discussion the last couple of weeks being shock because nobody should be shocked by this. We know that this stuff happens frequently. We keep saying, hey, we're going to change this. We're going to make this better. And then nothing really happens. That's the NHL and, way. That's the hockey way. And, and I think we have to stop thinking like, oh, we're going to learn from this incident. Like thinking that there's going to be this one incident that everyone's going to, that like everybody's going to wake up and be on the same page and moving forward, it won't be an issue. It's more, this is more something that's going to be a constant effort through generations to overcome. And I mean, th that's just the way it is. And you have to be prepared to think that way and handle that. Yeah, that, that that's long term. It, it may be frustrated that we're talking, oh, this incident puts a black mark on the game. These incidents put a black mark on the game. And I'm not saying that they don't, but this stuff's been happening for a no. long time. The president of USA Hockey may have called a black person the N-word multiple times and faced no consequences for it. So yeah. we're dealing <laughs> yeah, with pretty this much constantly. Anyone, pretty much anyone USA, U.S. hockey involved with USA hockey possible you're going to be on the team with somebody who was an abuser or said or you know or the gm may have covered up abuse right like i mean it's ridiculous i mean reed boucher we're, i don't oh, yeah, think we true. even have the time Good to go Lord. into that but no, i mean no, we don't but again i just want people to understand from my perspective i, I mean i, I was kind of in 
he was Rebouchet is somewhat my age, and you know the, that hockey circle and, and things like that aren't super spread out. And this is all news to to me and to a lot of people I know who, you know, like we'd never heard anything until it's coming out now. And you have to imagine it was probably coming out now because of he's probably trying to work his way onto an Olympic team or something, and this was done to stop that or whatever i don't know it's wild speculation don't run with that but it's just it's just ridiculous then all of this stuff is just the tip of the iceberg oh when i when you say it's the tip of the iceberg i promise and i am not exactly doing in-depth katie strang level reporting on this but i can tell you even from the stuff i've heard the stuff that i heard would make people blush you know we're not talking high levels of the game but this happens everywhere like, it's not just on the pathway to the NHL. This happens at all levels of the sport. And I'm going to say this not just when it comes to what happened with Reed Boucher, but in general, like with racism and people who should really be working in the game. I think the biggest challenge that this sport's going to have, if it even wants to take it on, and it's clear at this point, whether it's the NHL, whether it's USA Hockey, Hockey Canada, or any of the number of associations at the state-provincial level, they're not interested in it right now, is the infrastructure of the sport. If we really went with no tolerance and punishing people for their actions, whether they be recent or more distant. The biggest issue would be the number of people in this sport that would end up having to leave the sport if we were going to truly go no tolerance. And it is going to be a big task for this sport to reckon with how much they really want to do to make this sport a healthier place for people of color, for women, for sexual minorities, all of this. They're going to have to make that decision themselves because the number of people that would probably need to be fired in this sport is the number is higher than you think it is. And that number is high to begin with. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not trying to say that's what they need to do or not, but I, I definitely don't know. Zero tolerance is a great policy on paper and and the soundboard off of and the show like you're you mean business and everything. But I, I think what it does. What it does is, I don't know if it's as effect as effective. I think it's you know one of those kind of words only and empty promise policies that we've seen um, that doesn't that just kind of doles out punitive measures in in, in a PR way um, and not really a consistent or effective way. But I think you know what you were kind of talking about earlier is correct. I think they have to put into place a framework um, and, a, and a process to to solve this issue. I mean, it's if this was related to player salary or finance, hockey-related revenue, if this was related to, you know, if this was more, if this was like guys hitting each other over the head with their hockey sticks, this would be taken care of within a framework, within a body, um, and there would kind of be ways to weed out and and dish out you know punishment among levels and you know kind of give everybody a, a fair shake and, and, a, and a fair shake a, fa- a fair uh, say um you know because i'm you know wh- one of the incidents we've seen recently there was a you know a defense a, a defensive misunderstanding how how I don't want to have these arguments 
and hash them out on social media. There needs to be a framework for that to be put in place. And I don't think it should be done under the same framework and the same people who deal with suspensions for fighting and, and take and you know leaving the bench and third man in and cross checks and hits to the head and all that stuff. It needs to be a specific and special uh, expert or whatever you know terms you want to use, but it has to be you know fit for the need and fit for the use case uh, of you know you know to handle these cases in junior lower level professional in the NHL in North America. I think we we can have the money, we can have the infrastructure to put that in place. I think that when we look at what happened with Jacob Panetta, whatever the case may be, I think, in my opinion, if somebody's interpreting it, a black person is interpreting something as racist, I'm going to side with them, whatever the case may be in the past. But you're in, in a sense, you're right. I think that we can't be just doling out suspensions for this all the time, because if we went zero tolerance, truly, the number of people that would be completely wiped out of the sport, it would be a really, really high level. And that wouldn't be sustainable. So there needs to be education, right? There needs to be education in levels, in areas that can truly connect with hockey players. Like those virtual seminars that people skip over, that's not going to help anybody. But maybe Correct. maybe it's talking with Willie O'Ree. I'm not sure that would be it either. But like there are ways to help make this sport more culturally aware of what you would have to do in order to, you're, you're never going to be able to eradicate the racism because society is structurally in many ways racist, but you can do a better job within the confines of this sport to find solutions. And the sport, the NHL, these hockey governing bodies have to be actually willing to do that. And I've seen no interest in the NHL in willing to do that. I've seen very little interest in everybody else willing to do that. Again, when the head of USA hockey may have called a, pro, a black prospect, the N word multiple times, well, this not May. He admitted he did. Well, he, so, so you, when you look at that, you know that this is going to be a hard discussion. And the anger is righteous. I understand that. And people want this sport to be better. But we need to channel that anger into the right avenues to actually create meaningful change. I understand punishment's going to make people feel better. Like, there is a punishment for racism. I get that. But you're going to, like, we are going to see more racist incidents in the future in the sport of hockey. Like, it, it's going to happen, and again, many more have happened that people don't know about, and there are people in this sport that are very likely racist. So, we need to find a way to make this sport better, because at some point, you can't keep handing out punishments and expect things to change, because we know that's not going to work. And the purpose of having a framework in all of this is because if it becomes judgment by social media and judgment by media, it's... All it's going to do is divide, inflame, and lead to more racist incidents like players' social media's comments, you know, like we've seen in the past. So it's it's important to have a court of law, so to speak, to, to handle this because there, there needs to be, for the most part, it will, it should help things from getting too inflamed. But again... I'm just one fan who really doesn't shouldn't be speaking about this too much. So I think that's just my for, two for cents. For my purposes of talking with people who actually do the diversity and inclusion stuff, 
and knowing what that is like in this sport. You leave it to the people who know what they're doing. And that means that these hockey organizations may have to outsource and not control things in-house. They don't like doing that. But you may have to actually give that up. Just might have to be the case here. And let the people who know what they're doing do it. Or let the black people in hockey, let the Subans talk about this, let Anson Carter do this, or somebody else, whoever it is you may think has the best, or JT Brown, you can find somebody who is willing to take the lead on this and run with it. Yeah, I understand. I understand that, but I also don't. I, I think it's also tough to always put the onus back on. No, you shouldn't have to. The, that's why I'm saying the priority you know, should be the on agreed. the diversity inclusion people in this sport. Yeah. And there are people who would be willing to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's enough articles out there about people the NHL should be talking to that aren't, and they aren't, and uh, I think that probably says enough yes. right there. I, so, I'm. I think you know. Obviously, we support. And we're passionate about it, uh, and we know we're we're not experts on the matter. But uh, there's I that's can only pretty speak much from it. the people I know, and I know that there are people out there who would be willing to help and be willing to do because they don't want this to continue to happen. But it's going to take more, very likely, than just suspending people. And I I don't think yeah. that it's going to be people is going to actually change anything. And it's going to it's going to take economic components is going to take uh, a resource component is going to take generation it's going to take an endless fight and you know just and it's not a fight in a us versus them it's a fight in we need to we need to bring everybody in on the same page we need you know it's it's an inclusive it's a tolerance it's a um it's a everybody together type thing not not so much a a fight consider it as an existential threat these racist incidents because this sport can only grow if people of color if women if sexual minorities get involved because as sport the way it is currently structured it's not going to be able to grow the way that it should be able to grow well it's 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 already an expensive sport and it's jump the equipment has been jumping astronomically the the cost of ice is is going to be with with global warming and you know all that kind of stuff and energy demands on the energy grid and things like that it's going to be harder and harder as you know we progress here there you know we, we need to there's a, a lot we need to figure out but yes but smarter it's, people it's, than yeah they're, i hope smart people are trying and willing to do that anyway that's our thoughts on that there are more people out there again who you should look panthers or panthers or flyers first uh we should go with the panthers i'd say positives first because <laughs> Well, the Flyers discussion is going to be longer because I think not only are we going to talk about Keith Yandel, but we are also going to talk about how the Flyers vis-a-vis other teams seem to be having it kind of wrong. But let's talk about the Panthers first because this discussion is yeah. interesting. Uh, we're recording this the day that they play Vegas. We normally would record it on an off day, but we didn't this week. Um, they're coming off a road trip, which is instructive in some ways, I think, to what this team is. And I said it in November – that after they beat Carolina without Barkov and after the, the initial shock of the situation when uh, Andrew Burnett took over, that this team had pretty much already clinched a playoff spot and everything going forward the rest of the regular season was going to be structured towards, are you ready for May? That has been my discussion. That's what we've been talking about constantly. And yep. this road trip was in many ways instructive of, well, are you doing the things or are you building up habits that can get you to where you want to get to in May? 
And I think there were, of course, in any road trip like this, there are going to be positives, there are going to be negatives. But I think the signs are there that they can do the things they need to do in May. Obviously, they have some issues still that I'd like them to work out, and we will get to those. But a 3-2 and two road trip, very tricky when you're going up to Canada. I mean, obviously, they're not built buildings, but that requires another environment when you've been playing in full houses all year. They, I think, are a little closer to that May level of hockey than they were before. And they have answered a few questions that we have. There are more that need to be answered, and they have many more road games to play. But I think that this road trip did offer something in the positive direction, because they obviously won three of five, which is nice, and they had to play different styles of hockey to win. And I think in some cases they did that. I wanted to see more. Um, obviously, you know, there's some weird practicalities you have to take in the context, like the the sled the sled dog trip, you know, the day before Calgary, some people are like, well, you should never go sled dogging, you know, before a game. Well, I mean, if that's when you can do it, that's when you can do it because <laughs> trust me, I'm I mean, not the turning that down. It was exceptional. We have to say, right. I made the joke yeah. before. It's the first time I, anybody on the uh, Florida Panthers ever carried around Sasha Barkov. They, they, they should sell like poster size prints at, uh, for like 15 bucks at the stadium of like Huberto and a dog and stuff. I mean, like th that would sell. No, of course it would. It's, oh my well, God. Also, Shit, it's they're team... like they're freaking Huskies. Like, come on. They're, they're beautiful dogs. I mean, it's yeah. team bonding. Like, like they could have lost anyway. Who has better eyes, Huberto or the dog? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer. Uh, I don't care. Like you yeah. could lose a first game of a long road but, trip anyway. I mean, it doesn't that, matter that what was, you do. that was one thing, but you know, there, there, there was, you know, there's some context with injuries and, and, and there's always things to consider and, and we're not in the locker room as they're planning things out. And we don't know what what they went, what what they intended to do and then weren't able to do because of some logistical reason or practicality or something COVID, like that. COVID's so, got a big right, role. You know, in this it's, to play it's too. hard to really judge when it's such a 50-50. Mm, so I think you're right. Like, it, it, it showed that they they're getting better a little, but it shows that they're also still behind where they should be. And and so for me, I, I my game notes, my first one on the Panthers is road game non plus. Like it, it's not a, it. That's what I would call it. It's not a plus. It, it's not. It, I don't even know if it's something I would say is a solid, but it, it's trending to not a concern. It's um, not, I, we are not at the not a concern point yet, but we have not yeah, reached. I it. mean, it there's. Like, and if I want to pull that apart, like, it, it's hard for me to figure out, is it the road game or is it a road game with Spencer Knight? I mean, he, he hasn't had that many road games. Either. I mean, like, so what, you know, there's, you know, is it the road, like, they struggle to theory. come back. If they, if, you know, they struggle to start out because they don't have the matchups with the new coach on the road. Like, I'm trying to read more into it. And obviously, it's going to take probably another month to really – figure it out i have my just theory because the road games you want to hear my theory there. about it I've yeah been, i'm workshopping it and so maybe this is right maybe this is wrong but andrew burnett has been coaching the florida panthers for what now about three months as a full-time head coach a good majority of those games have been at home and what happens at home you get last change and i mean this in the kindest way possible to andrew burnett most home games andrew burnett can stand behind the bench let his assistants make the line changes and defense pairings. He can stand there, and he knows, because he has last change, that the Panthers can pretty much win as he stands there and does nothing. That is not an insult to Andrew Burnett. The team is that well-constructed and that good that he doesn't really have to do all that much for the Panthers to win at home at this point. 
because they have the matchups, because they can dictate the style of play, and almost nobody in the league can keep up with the Panthers when they're playing the way that we know they can. Now, on the road, that's not how this works because he's going up against coaches that have last change, that can dictate matchups, and for him, because the Panthers' schedule has been so home-heavy, he still hasn't been able to get into the rhythm of how to manage a road game. And I think, because there haven't been many of them, there have been some, but not many, I think that for him, the habits of knowing how to match up on the road, the habits of knowing those little instinctual things that the good coaches that Joel Quenville had, of knowing what to do on the road to spark a team when you're not playing well, how to be able to you know, take the air out of a building, things like that, He's not good at that yet because he hasn't coached at the highest level for very long. And so I don't think he's there yet. He's getting better at it the more we see it. Like, they have played better road games of late. The Carolina game was very good. I think the Winnipeg game at the end of the game was some of the better stuff they've done on the road all year. But he's not there yet, and that's fine. I understand that. He's yeah, going to get better I, at I, it. I understand that perspective, but I think it's more I, – I interpret it that as just being one component of – they don't play a, a, you know, when you talk about what's a good road game, it's not usually, you know, you're not talking about the style of play the Panthers do. You're, you know, you're talking about grinding it out, winning back momentum, um, you know, getting through that first period and then capitalizing in that second period um, and making advantage of the long change and that kind of stuff and, and kind of, more trench warfare and slowly tilting back the ice and that kind of stuff. That's more, you know, historically what's considered a good road game. And that's, that's not the Panthers or that's not usually the Panthers. And I think, you know, from that, you know, it's hard to play that running gun style if you come out flat and you don't have the change and everything, you know, a lot of teams come out better at home too. That that's part of it. Um, you know, there's less logistics and stuff they have to deal with and, and all of that. The players are more comfortable and, and things like that. So that that's also part of it. Um, and so I think, you know, yeah, brunette's a component of it, but I also think I hate to harp on this, but it's why I keep looking for, the leveling up in the in playing a more structured game without the puck being able to not always be turned up to 11 and, and knowing that you know it's the first period we gotta we can turn it up to 11 over the course of the game but we gotta really make sure we have a good road first period we gotta really lock it down slow them down suck the crowd out of it you know, make everybody start going to the snack bar and everything, win back possession, start cycling, break them, break them down, get them tired and capitalize it, and then turn it up and, and make them go home early. That, that's got to be the mentality. And, and I don't think Florida isn't thinking that way. I just think given the composition of their defense, they can't do it. I mean, we're talking about Forslund being out, so Montour's minutes are, 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 are ramped up. And, and, you know, Montour is, I think, a component of this. I think he's a good defenseman, but we have too many of the similar defensemen, and they are playing their best when they're all over the ice, chasing the puck, going up, going up, almost being a fourth forward. And, you know, 
that is great in the regular season and, and Montour's putting up the points because he's playing on a high scoring team, getting some power play time, which, you know, Florida doesn't need him on the power play. They definitely have enough defensemen uh, to play him on the power to play someone else on the power play. But um, that's you know, I I think Montour is a guy that it is a nice body to have, but he puts you in tough positions if he can't play a more stationary structured game if or you know backward skating game without the puck game you know um or at least tailor tailoring it on the road and in the first period or you know in certain situations because they didn't um, start any of those games particularly yeah. well and, and and i don't mean to throw it all on mantra i'm just trying to use one player in one example no, to I, I, I completely get that a larger, a larger that thing i mean if new Navarro was in the lineup i could say new Navarro too um you know is a similar type d and that you know d pairs last year you know we talked about unlocking that um so you know that's why i think Zito is really targeting a top four defenseman. Uh, and if you're ta- looking at it, you know, Montour's kind of a, a, a. As much as we like Montour, three and a half million dollars for someone who's going to play on your third line, third pair, or be your extra defenseman, that's a lot of chump change. That's more than what Uyghur makes. You know, yeah, that's, it is that's, actually. that's not that far off of what Chikrin makes if you're going to go out and get Chikrin. I mean, that's, mm. that's, a, that's a big, and I'm not, I, I don't think you have to move Montour now. If you can get, if you can make the cap work, bring in a defenseman and, you know, move out Toronto and some extra D or, you know, get some retention and, and fudge the numbers, whatever you do to make it work, you have Montour as a body for the playoffs for the run and the guy who can come in, that'd be great. But I mean, you're looking at next year of way more cap complicated cap system situation. I'm not against using it as a trade trip now. I mean, if you, you know, if you're bringing in a top defenseman like campus Lindholm or Chikrin or something, and you need that cap um, or in the off season, you need to replenish assets. I'm not mm-hmm. against it because I mean, it is a luxury to have a guy like Montour. In games in the regular season, when you're scoring eight goals, it's fantastic. That's why it's 30 points, 30-plus points or whatever he's going to end up with. But, you know, it's not – people don't, People forget how even Uyghur playing Montour style of hockey got toasted in the playoffs at times because it's a whole different animal, and you can't just divert to that running gun. And that's all Montour can do. He struggles to get to to really handle uh, a lot of play in the zone off cycle and stuff. And he he constantly puck watches, puck chases, forgets his assignments and things like that. I he's not a bad defender. He's an NHL defender. It's not a bad contract. It's just the Panthers have found guys like Forsling and Carlson for free, have guys like you, Levy, Kierstad, Prisky, you can be extras, you know, and if they're going to add another four, a top four defenseman, you have that guy they bring in, Eklad, Uyghur, Forsling in your top four. You have Gudis uh, and Carlson as your third pair with those guys, with those extra bucks. Yeah. Before he got hurt, was was starting to look 
Again, he may never reach yeah, the potential then, he had in his draft year, but and then, I was starting to like what I was seeing from him. And then you have Nudavari, who... I don't, Nudavara, think, I, don't, I don't want to expect that he's going to play. I think yeah, I'm not expecting done. him, but, I mean, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that, you know, after the cap is no longer an issue, he's a body at some point in the playoffs. You know, Possibly. like, he, that's how... They're, they're deep enough at that third pair... I mean, yeah, he's athletic. He can play 20 minutes. I don't want to harp on him, but, you know. And in the same vein, I don't want to harp on Chikrin being that, that D they can go out and get. There's other defensemen. I've already talked about Hampus Lindholm. Um, you know, there's always going to be who's that next Adam Pellick, who's that next Devon Taves, who's that next, um, you know, Forsling. Rasmus Anderson, Shillington types, kind of guys like that. Right, yeah. yeah. And you, the lucky thing is we can trust Zito and, and the squad to really identify who that is. Yes. But I think that they need to, they need to you know, constantly be adding defensemen. I've been tarreling my, my draft strategy, actually. Oh, just seeing where the league's going. Where, I mean, yeah. I mean, the last couple of drafts haven't, haven't been anything special. But, you know, just throwing it on defensemen who I think can play 20 minutes top four roles and play both sides of the puck and lead to possession, good habits, that kind of stuff. So I want to get into a couple of things from this road trip that I do want to mention that were, that were good. Um, they played right. terribly in the first period at Edmonton. They were awful, but they found a way to stay in it. And eventually, I mean, that's, that's what see, good teams sometimes do. See, I have the opposite. I didn't think they played awful. I thought that, that that was closer that was the closest they came to a good road period. They 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 didn't break, they withheld the bend. Um, you know, they knew that they were gonna have to withstand a little bit of an onslaught coming in. You're always gonna have to deal with runs. The other teams tilting the ice, getting a couple shifts where they're getting the run of play and getting a bunch of shots, and you're going to have to make sure it doesn't go in. That's always going to happen, even when you're playing teams you outmatch. Um, you know, Edmonton had a lot of motivation that game to come out strong, um, and they did. And I think Florida did a – that was probably one of the better first periods I thought on the road trip. Um, and I was really looking at first periods in the road trip because it, it showed that they – you know, it was – Things weren't going right, but they were fighting through it, um, and there was there, you could tell that there was much more checking over their shoulders. Is there a guy behind me? You know, where's this guy? Am I in the right lane? Where, and everybody's sticks were down. Everybody, you know, active sticks, not just sticks down, but active sticks, sticks on puck. You know, there's a lot more hand motion communication and, and covering and, and switches and that kind of stuff. It was. You could easily um, see that being the kind of road period they faced right. multiple and, times in the playoffs. And yeah, and, and yeah, it was messy. It was sloppy and everything. But the what I wanted to the things I've wanted to see on the road, I saw in that first period, and it turned to them being able to o overtake it in the second and drive it home. And you know, I think I thoroughly the embarrassing periods of the of the road trip were the last two against the Jets. In the fact that you were talking yeah. about locking it down, you know, by the end of that game, the Jets had nothing at even strength. Everything came on the power play, and, and they played much better defensively in terms yeah. of just a team game overall. And because they knew 
at that point, all right, we've got the better of this team. We know we can score against them. So we can now dial it back. We can lock it down, and we can win the neutral zone. And they yeah, really won the neutral zone in that game. And I, I think, you know, what if, if we're looking at the positive sides, they add that first period component where instead of kind of relying on, okay, if we bend and not break in the first and then just – have our usual second and thirds will be fine if they can kind of start coming out and dictating a little more play on the road in the first period and like you were talking about unlock that coaching the in-game adjustments the to, to pace but it's not just they pace, did that it's... in the second period to the third in that game against yeah. the jets but it... were active adjustments to stop that game from being played the way it was and that allowed the panthers to dominate the neutral zone Things were tighter defensively, and they knew because they were cycling the puck, they were creating chances, not just rush chances, but actively dominating offensively. The Jets are not good defensively, let's be fair. But right. you got to still do that on the road, too. And they actually did that. And that was as comfortable a two periods on the road I've seen them play in a while. And that's what you have to be able to do. And we're not saying they need to win an entire series on the road. But in situations where, you know, the chips are down – and maybe you lose a home game in a playoff series, that's very possible, you have to be able to do that on the road, no matter whether you have home ice or not. And there are signs in some of these games, even against Vancouver, where Vancouver sludged the whole thing up. They didn't, you know, they were frustrated, but they didn't give in. They kept doing the things, I think the little things, that good teams find ways to do when you are not able to play the way you want to play. And they, like, Vancouver did that too against Edmonton. Vancouver is a very well-coached team now with Bruce Boudreaux. And again, they sludged that game up to hell. And the Panthers found a way to stick it's, with it and not give up or not get boo-boo-faced, for lack of a better term, that they can't play the style they want to play. And that's important when it comes yeah, to road I mean, games. That, that's the most important thing for me. And one of my – going back on the in-game adjustments and stuff, one of my notes was I think Brunette's getting better at knowing who is and isn't going and using them earlier in a game instead of waiting till the last five minutes to start double-shifting or moving guys around and stuff. I think, you know, he doesn't have to do it as much because he's being a little more proactive and making that one little tweak like, oh, I'm going to get this line out a little more in the second, and that's enough to – win back play and possession a little faster where, you know, before things kind of go to shit and you have to run them out five, six times in a row. Yeah. Um, like so sometimes it's less noticeable. happening but... earlier in games. You're he, noticing, yeah. I think in it's, Seattle, it's still... they, they went to bark off Huberto Duclair earlier than he would have done that say a month yeah. ago. But and... it's still, it's still a little bit of that pacing and style. Like he, he's having trouble getting, are manufacturing that high-end pace at the beginning of games, um, but he's good at ma- get getting them to get to that pace later in games. He's, um, you know, he's at times for periods they can play that focused, structured hockey and stuff, and he can, but you know, other times they can't, you know, start off a game with that, or um, you know, when games start slipping away, go back, you know rebuild their confidence through that defensive line. We saw that in Seattle a little bit where, like, by the end of that game, like, they just, I think they ran out of ideas, which is not something I've said of Panthers because this team has proven they can do basically whatever they want offensively, and there are times when they can name their score and they'll score it. Um, That's going to happen. 
it is funny that the team that might win the President's Trophy got swept by the Seattle Kraken. That is kind of funny, and it is very Panthers. So, but the, I mean, their that, DNA is still their DNA. But and, and that is that's that's why you always need to have another thing. I mean, because that's a Dave Hackstall. I mean, specialty of trap game of we can lull them into being a sloppy all-star game instead of a, you know, a thoroughbred horse race, you know? Bruce Boudreau did that too, but I thought they were a lot better but, in that game in just terms of managing but, how you play a style like that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's just catching teams out on, on, on the right night. But um, the one thing, you know, what helps in the regular season is, you know, they have the forwards that can just pop off like Marchman. They, they have the uh, you know, two other teams in the league Mammon have that they could put together a line of Marchment, Lundell, and Reinhardt, and it scores three point three goals in the first period of the game. And you're just like, wait, this feels like it was a happy accident. Like they just put them together, and say, let's see what happens here, and it works perfectly. But so I mean, like, that, they have that luxury that no other team has. That's why you want that diversity on defense because they finally have. I mean, we talked so many times about how for so many years the Panthers always had too many of the same types of wingers. Um, now they have, you know, a lot of different centers, a lot of different wingers. I mean, Reinhardt, Bennett, Lundell. You know what Lush I've been Rain. loving about Sam Reinhardt's I mean, game? there's so many guys that are di- – they play different – a different style of center. You know what I love about Sam Reinhardt's them. game, that just to make that point? I'm really loving how he's kind of adopted that Patrick Hornquist kind of role and just standing in front of the net, being a nuisance, using his reach to get deflections, and that causes chaos all the time. Like, I really yeah. like that in his game. And nobody has, I think, talked about that enough, just how he's using his frame to do the things that Patrick Hornquist would normally do if he yeah. was in the lineup. And that's and that is a and he's playing that role now in the power play, and you can see kind of why their power play is better now, because I think Reinhardt's really good at that. Yeah, and I mean that, they, that's been they, fun to watch. You have a lot of forwards. I mean, they're not all multi-dimensional. That type of like all their forwards are dynamic in their top nine, but you know Duclair's not as multi-dimensional as you know Reinhardt. But that's okay. They don't need him to be because they can plug and play can the I say different Anthony interchanges. Duclair's defensive game in recent like weeks has been incredible. Like mm-hmm. how many times has he used his speed good. to break yeah. plays up on the back check? Like yeah, just, and, I mean it's awesome. And that's the type. I mean, you need all horses going in all directions and, and in all facets to win a cup. And, and it's good signs to see. Um, and it's you know you, you're looking around at this forward group. It. it it's why they should be going for a dip because I mean, yeah, I would love to bring in, uh, uh, you know, if hell, if you can give me a Claude Giroux, do it, you know, like, you know, I'd love to see that too, but they have the ability to move Vitrano, Tippett, Denisenko and, and go for it. Now this is, I mean, I cannot stress this enough. This is the year to go for it. I think the like Vito's listening to you. Yeah, I I don't think he needs me to tell him. I think we finally have a GM that's not doesn't need to figure out a way to sell the value proposition to the owner. I think we have a we have a GM who knows he has the ownership's trust and doesn't need to ask and is just going for it. Where um, I I don't the other GMs there are didn't there bring, are no questions. There's, I think there's nothing point, you need to ask at this point. You know I think Zito could trade Knight. 
I don't think that talent ever brought the results enough to win the faith of an ownership to trade a guy like Knight who they might really like and see as a future moneymaker. You know? I think Zito could sell the ownership on trading Knight right now to Arizona for Chikrin or to or for whatever they need to get done. He could sell 100%. it. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. And let's pivot this to the defenseman discussion because there's a lot of talk about yeah. Jacob Chikrin. And I remember when those rumors first started happening. This is not me flexing, by the way. I'm just saying it. Uh, I texted Jeff Merrick, and we were talking about that. And I said, Florida's going to be in on this because not only do they need a defenseman, I mean, the number of Chikrin jerseys they would sell would, would pay – Half of their debt off, it seems like, right? They lose money every year, but they would pay their debt off with the number well, of chicken jerseys they'd sell. That's not so, that's not the other big number. No, 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 no. But it, I mean, like, it's it's one, two, three more seasons at four point six million. That or, that or is, less if Arizona has to retain, which is possible. Right. But like that is a huge... if your if your top four is Uyghur, Chikrin, Ekblad, and Forsling. What well, else are you I mean, supposed yeah. to do against that? Yeah, I mean, and that, and you know, you get out a guy like Lindholm, Hampus Lindholm. That's somebody later in the career who, you know, hopefully isn't going to be breaking the bank, bank too much, or you know, it's an expiring contract, could just be a rental. Um, you know, but there's a lot. You know, a D of Chigrin's value is, is probably six and a half this at this point. Mm. So, you know, like Uyghur is going to be asking for probably seven. Well, the right things are going. It's possible. Uh, I, I wanted to just talk about this, though, because we're seeing what, like, the Coyotes want in this trade. And we're hearing a lot of rumors about that. Now, I think we're, we're the, seeing, the one, the we're one seeing the sticker price at the dealership, and everybody knows you haggle. You know what I yeah. mean? Well, I mean, in the, in the before times you did, now with inflation, maybe not. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, for, for this trade, I can I can't see a world in which Anton Lindell is involved, and the reason going why, back to the I point, is, Spencer Knight's out the door before Anton Lindell. Is. That, yes, you're correct. You're absolutely 100 percent correct because Anton Lindell, if you trade him, you make your current team worse. And why would you do that? Anton yeah, Lindell, it, he's a as piece a third of line going center, but he's also like he's going to be really important in the next couple of years, having that entry level cap hit when the other crunch comes in. But right. even, huge. even beyond that, I would say he's their seventh best forward, if not maybe even sixth at times. I mean, like it's he's that he. I mean, he. I I, I don't know if it's still up to date anymore, but at one point he led NHL forwards in takeaways. It's possible that he still does. What? And you know, like he's. I think he's that important because you're gonna have to go out and get a third. Uh, how how much do how much do defensive three C's cost of the tr- trade deadline, Matt? More than more than Anton Liddell has. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, but also, like, he's not a defensive right. third center. Like, he, he, he can yeah. play that, but he's not that. It's just, he's the third-line center on a team that's obviously insanely good. And I think people are now just starting to realize, oh, he might win the Calder, too. I think, I think everybody yeah. was focused on Zegris and Raymond and Sider and Seth Jarvis and players like that. And now they're realizing, oh, wait a minute, this guy's really good too. It just happens that he's on a, like, an insane team that has so much depth and we don't pay attention yeah. to it. I think, he, I think he makes the top three. But he I should. I mean, I mean, it's hard to, I guess, it's hard to do this objectively when you're on a team that's such a wagon, which Florida is. But like, the things he's doing, 20-year-old centers yeah. should not be doing in this league. 
Like yeah. it's just he, it's 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 preposterous how good he's, he is already. He is one of the only untouchables for me. Yeah. I mean, he in in a trade, you're right about them Spencer Knight, but I also don't think they do like the the thing is, <laughs> are you? I know you might be willing to do that. I wouldn't. Dude necessarily sucks be. this year, man. I mean, he, I, I mean, I don't be so pejorative, but uh, he had, I mean, okay. he's His game been against Vancouver was pretty good. His game it was, against Vancouver, it was, was okay. It was okay. I mean, the the issue is, I mean, what do you what do you do when it takes him 15 minutes of gameplay to just even find his bearings in the NHL? Are we how how are we going to pretend that's okay for his development for anything? I mean, like, every game, he's getting smoked for the first 10 minutes. It's just about how many shots they can limit. I mean, the, the reason he had a good game on this road, on that road trip there was because he didn't get many shots in the beginning. Well, also, Vancouver didn't really have any offensive weapons in their lineup. But yeah. he played yeah. well. He played well. And I think that – I just think that from a proposition for the Panthers, it's going to be really – hard to get them to to trade but him here, now. okay okay but let's this is what i'm talking about what it, it, they're they're asking for three first round picks to start and you know with some bidding it's going to be a little more window dressing and and some gives and takes to get some salary and and you know you take this guy or you know whatever there's going to be some picks or other b prospects on you know attached to it but if if they're saying i want you know, Lundell, I want Tippett, I want, you know, Mackie, and I want, you know, blah, blah, blah. If I say, well, Knight counts as two first-round draft picks, I don't really want to give him up, but if you want him that bad, he counts as two first, so I'll give you Knight and uh, Tippett and, um, and like, uh, Gildan, and we'll call it a deal. I mean, if you if Zito thinks that's the move that puts him over the edge or gives him enough to then go out get some other pieces too and, and make a run for it, I, I'm not going to tell him no. I mean, because what what Spencer Knight has shown me is what the uh, the majority of top, good top sixty overall draft pick goalies have shown me, and I'm a huge believer in the Russian goalie they drafted last year. Huge believer. Zito's already traded a guy who I thought was just as good as Knight, so I think Zito's capable of trading I mean, it. He he is going to be playing at the Olympics. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's having, and this is a guy who's played better at the NCAA level than Knight has. If I'm gonna be straight up honest with you, yeah, I think he's probably played on a better defensive team, Northeastern, than what Knight played on, which was a little more uh flashy you know just go out and score a lot of goals team well but. you got more high on talent at bc than you would at northeastern but yeah I, but. As, I don't think it happens that knights included i'm just saying that you, what your point is correct. I, like lundell's yeah, untouchable I, if knights included in the trade for chicken you wouldn't I, be shocked knights knights a guy that you give up because but you're you value highly in a trade where it makes the trade oh like it you 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 know you you if you're giving up night you don't have to pay the three first round draft picks because you're saying you know he's you know a generational goalie prospect or whatever you want to you know saying so he counts as two you know that stuff happens all in the, the time in the end do you think they pull off the chicken trade because I think they don't because I think Arizona is going to want more than I think Florida in the end will offer it's and a, I think that Bill Zito and company may end up finding something else that does the trick if if they think it's if that's their one move like if they think they get do that get a veteran goalie or something like that or like just a veteran 
body or something for for cheap or whatever and that's it that's all they have to do i think they're much more in it because the teams that are going to get him are going to be the teams that they might have to play in the playoffs like a boston in new york um that you know that might put them from being in you know the favorite against to a more even matchup um a, you know boston so it's tough because you i know jams aren't supposed to be motivated by that but they are um, well they definitely know, are like you know there like was a rumor out there out that to. the panthers might be interested in evander kane to keep him away from tampa which was never going to happen by the way they don't need any forwards but i'm just saying like that that's definitely out there and yeah. specifically in the east because everybody knows who's going to be in the playoffs it's not like we're yeah. there's a playoff race in the east and yeah, but I mean, also, like they we're kind of getting an idea of what those matchups could be now. But I, I could see, I could see if, you know, if Zito thinks I need to get a couple pieces here, and I can't, I, I, these are, I like, I think Zito's going into the trade deadline with a bucket of people he's willing to trade and a reserve bucket of guys. If he has to trade, he will trade, and that's all he has to play with. Because they don't have that many picks, you know they're you know they're, they're kind of somewhat limited, you know. There's because you have to keep so many guys to to kind of make a run for it. So he has to spend them efficiently. If he thinks he has to get a you know a, another center, you know a backup center, uh, a backup goalie, and another defender, he might go like go to the Kraken and get Mark Giordano because it, it'll I be cheaper. I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't. You know, like he it and. There's a lot of options I'd be okay with because you know, I trust you know the GM. I wouldn't hate, but... You know who I wouldn't hate if they went after him? And maybe this is because I'm thinking about a past version of him, of this player. But, if you I say mean, Klingberg, I'm going to... No, 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 no. I'm not saying Klingberg. No. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I w- if, if it came down to Klingberg or no D at, at all, yes, I'll take Klingberg. But he's not the type of D they need. Absolutely. But he would be a better... I don't think they're, I don't think they're in on Klingberg at it's all like, because it's I think like, they have so many defensemen like it's that. It's like, yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't mind if they... Like, I've, I wouldn't put it past them to send, like, a Futures or a seventh-round pick to the Flyers to get Kevin Connaughton back because it's a familiar D body that, you know, no, if no, people it's start dropping... D. like it's another Flyers D I'm thinking of. <laughs> Who? Justin Braun. Oh God, no, no, God, no! Klingberg over Justin Braun every day. Okay, fine. Well, it, I would take Justin Braun over Ben Sherratt. That I would definitely. I would take Braun over Sherratt because I don't. Well, because of the price. Well, yeah, the the, the Sherratt price is lunacy. But I mean, yeah. also like think that's about, the one D. That's the one D. I think I'm unequivocally out for just because I can't imagine the D the price being anywhere close to his value, which I think is like a second or a third. Yeah, I can't. It's just <laughs> right. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's it doesn't it doesn't make much sense. Can but you imagine plus, like a taller Mike Weaver going for like a first plus? Like ridiculous. Uh, no, Calvin DeHaan is another one that was mentioned before. I think that could also the Blackhawks would have to retain, but I think that could be reasonable. Like there 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 might be something there for a run. I mean, and also because I because I, I would I would no mind like team. Nick Letty or something like you know I don't know he's man. He's not like, good with Detroit, but I could also see that. Like. He's, he's been, been good with teams he's, before. He's been good as a partner. He's you know, and and that that's kind of, I'll take that too. Yeah, you uh, know, that's that's another one that I think would be reasonable. I don't think the yeah, price I mean, would be like that high. Again, it depends on what how many bodies they they need, what they think they need. I, I mean, think that they what may I, need one body if, what if they're I just think going they need, for a defenseman. What I think they need is, I would lo- I think they need a top four defenseman. 
that they have to get they have to get a defenseman of some sort at the deadline. I, you know, I don't care if you go get me another Lucas Carlson. Or you, hey, if they get another you know, Lucas Carlson, that wouldn't be terrible. Because I, right, I mean, yeah, he, or, he's, a, he's a he's a good player. Or you know, you go, you get back Kevin Kanatnin or something like that. But I think. I just want Prisky and Kirstead to be one body further down. That that's that's you know I I trust them and everything, but I don't want them. I want to have some options when we get to it. Yes, um, I, and I know I, I agree with that, you. I agree and, with you. And I want somebody that's a little more experienced in those options. And may and hopefully that's just keep maybe keeping Montour and Montour slotted down further where he's in that realm. Um, I don't know. Whatever. I think it is a 100% guarantee they add a defenseman. I don't think there's any yeah. doubt but about I, that. I, I'm still not sold on goalie. I mean, we picked up a goalie on waivers and we're not going to play him. The obvious. Well, he just came off of having COVID. So let's be fair. Yeah. I mean, but Doth and, and then with Knight, Doth protests too much uh, about his development and everything. I, I know you know, they have every goalie I have questions about. And I'm a big Bobrovsky fan, but, you know, there's there's always concern about the other shoe when he has some nights where his five holes, you know, his pads can't get down on the ice to stop a five-hole shot. Where, you know, you know, or he has those nights where some of the rebounds look, you know, kind of like, la- you know, last couple of years and some things I like that. Or he's that, moving like, too much in the net slot. It's he been like a really tricky evaluation of Bobrovsky this year because I think some people, you know, you have some people who are saying he's actually been, he's been playing badly lately, which he was playing it's badly in November, December. But I also think like his numbers also kind of lie a little because a lot of his numbers are inflated a bit off the heater he went on at the start of the year. And you look at some of the advanced metrics, and that is definitely a thing. Although he has played much better of late, and I'm I'm encouraged I think, by that. I, I still think, think the best been, version of this team has the best version of Bobrovsky doing what he does. I think he's been what I've expected him to be when he signed the contract, which is a eight to twelve best starting goalie in the league. And you know, I, I think that can be that can that can be good enough with his pension to steal series. I mean, that's what you get him for. So we'll 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 see. But I want more insurance behind them than the sophomore slumping rookie, the worst NHL goalie I think I've seen in the last two years in JJ uh, Jonas Jonasson. Uh, My name mo- is Jonas. Yeah, like and I'm he's, carrying the wind because he can't I stop saw, a puck. I saw too much of him in with Colorado, and that's a team that plays a very similar system and everything. Oh yeah, the Avs and the Panthers are at this point basically comparable. And yeah, so I, I I would want something there, and I'm never going to turn down a Claude Giroux or a Ryan Getzlov or any type of those. I think a heady value add at forward. So. That's what I would be looking for. I don't know if Zito wants more or less or about the same. But... I, think def- I think if he can get a decent goalie, he might pull it, but I think a defenseman is, is obviously what they're going to get. It's just a matter of who. Uh, speaking of Hamp Claude is Giroux, Lindholm is still my number one. I think it's, it's, uh, it meets the need. It's You've got to start rooting for the Ducks level. to collapse, though, because they might make the playoffs. Uh, let's yeah, go on to the Flyers. Nice. I think it's time that we – get to this elephant in the room here uh, because it's, this is going to be an interesting discussion. So let's start. I want to do the Keith Yandel thing very briefly because I've been trying to articulate my thoughts on Keith Yandel and the Ironman streak. 
uh, for a little bit because we've known it's going to happen and then it just happened. Although it's not, I wish it was causation, but it's not. It's correlation that Keith Yandel breaks the Ironman record the same night the Flyers now have a franchise-long losing streak. Again, it's correlation, not causation, but it's still kind of amusing to me. Um, <laughs> is it? I, I know what I'm you think it is. I'm starting to wonder. <laughs> yeah, I know what you think it is, but I want to start with this Keith Yandel discussion because I've been trying to figure out how do I view not just him breaking the record that he broke, which is incredible, but how to put it in context. Because we know that our Keith Yandel opinions are very colored by what happened when he was signed, who signed him, and how much he was signed for. No, 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 no. They're they're colored by his play on the ice for me specifically. And if if we're talking about the Ironman streak, if we're talking about the Ironman streak, the – last three seasons this in philadelphia and the last two in florida those are the ones where he would have been benched the streak would have been broken if he was any other defenseman besides apparently him i don't know how yes. he does it the nude photos he has the <laughs> the bullying his podcast does behind the scenes or what i don't know but it's ridiculous it's amazing you are you are definitely that's the most incredible part of the streak is that he's convinced that many NHL coaches, that NH- many NHL GMs to, to put up with, with, with all of his crap. Because the reason he – it's like it is. It would be amazing if someone played that many games in a row without getting hurt if they didn't give up possession of the puck to avoid getting a hit. If they didn't half-ass. Like he shows up to work, yeah, but he shows up to work knowing he's not going to play his heart out, and he doesn't. I mean, yeah, sometimes he does. Sometimes he has great games and he's, you know, he looks amazing. I wish he would take more games off so he'd play that way more when he actually played. I, that That's just my opinion. And he's a great team guy and everything, but I can't square a good team p- person with somebody who will reach for a puck in the slot instead of tying up his man because, God forbid, he gets hit with the, with the shot. A business I, you decision? Know, yeah, and yeah, I mean, his personality, brand, whatever, you know, he's he's gonna have a good, profitable post career. I, I, we know that, and good for him. I mean, that's fine. If you know, a lot of people like him, and it's hard to play, even the amount of games he did the way he did. It's you know, with COVID and everything, that's great. Do you want to hear a conspiracy theory I have? He's tested positive, and they've withheld it. I, I don't think that, no, but when the Hurricanes and Flyers game got postponed and there didn't seem to be a reason for it to be postponed, does somebody wonder if Keith Yandel may have had a positive test and they wanted to do extra testing yeah. to see if the streak didn't break? Yeah. Because if they knew he was positive and they played oh, that day, he yeah, exactly. play. It, exactly. I mean, Friedman, Elliot Friedman said in his write-up about it, and he didn't mean this in a bad way, but I guess he just kind of let it slip out or something, that Chuck the reason Yandel chose Florida over much more lucrative deals was because Chuck Flesher said he was committed to making sure he got the Ironman streak, AKA he was not going to sit no matter what. Yeah. Tells you all you need to know, man. Like it does say that, a lot, but can I, mean, I say that, like, that's too, you know, last season for sure. We know for a fact he was never going to sit any game, no matter what. And as until soon as the playoffs and, and then he sat, and we, we called it from a mile away. Well, I, I, I think I called it in the first podcast of the year. Like, if the Ironman streak doesn't continue in the playoffs, folks, he's going to get scratched. And he did. Because I think the Panthers, yep. everyone knew, like Bill Zito yeah. knew that Keith Yandel couldn't play anymore at the level that yeah. was required. 
and the team because he is so a great teammate. What are we room. celebrating? Like this is what I mean. Like what are we celebrating? Like we're just celebrating a guy's personality and the fact that he's like he wants to be here and he keeps showing up to work whether he like is gonna play hard or not. Like I don't know. Like some of it's fine and everything, but I think I think there does deserve to be some opposite dissenting voice who who puts it a little into context, or at least you know tries to say like. Like, Phil Kessel is not the epitome of work ethic or anything like that, right? But no well, one... according to Steve Simmons, certainly. No one, no one will say that Phil Kessel has deserved to be benched by on merit in any of his games over this streak. Really, I don't think. I mean, like, I mean, he was still good enough to play on a, on really important lines on two, in back-to-back cup runs very recently. Uh, you know, he's still weeding Arizona. I mean, yeah, he's not playing on teams that are in it or anything like that. So the, and he's a forward. So the barometer is lower, but you know, no one's going to say like, yeah, he still scored he's not goals last year. Yeah. Like no one's going to say Phil Kessel isn't in the top 12 forwards. Yeah. But it's, it's easier to be in the top 12 than in the top six. I get it. And all this stuff, but that's kind of the position there's a lot of times over the last year you can the last couple of years you can say keith yandel wasn't in the top six defenseman well he was never a top six and defenseman that's for the panthers and last that's, year right yeah and that's looking at it with rose colored glasses at just his strengths not counting his weaknesses like he still like he just wasn't doing enough like on the power play he was you know same with in philadelphia he's not doing enough on the power play he's not doing you know it's yeah I, I will, it is what here, it is. Here's, here's my opinion. And and if we're going to have dissenting voices to the large majority of the crowd, why not have it be at Y Hockey? That's what we do for a living. But let me let me give my opinion on this because I, I've tried to formulate the best nuance I can here. My opinion of Keith Yandel has been decidedly colored by who signed him in Florida, why he was signed, and what he was signed for. He was at that time a good defenseman. Listen, at his peak, dude could run a power play. He was a great passer of the puck from the back end in many ways. Like he was ahead of his time in the way the league was shifting in terms of how defensemen were playing in the kind of style. And he was ahead of his time. And there were times when Florida was, he was really good, but I think very briefly he was, there were times Florida was really good, but let me, let me add this. The other thing that was interesting about him, obviously we always talk about his personality and the sonk garbage, whatever. I think when Keith Yandel was at his best, when he was in Arizona, he was a young player. Obviously, young players don't command dressing rooms. But when he was the player in Arizona, the leader in that team was obviously Shane Doan, right? He led. That was the Shane Doan team. When he was with the Rangers for that one and a half seasons, that wasn't the Keith Yandel team. He was a part of that team, right? But that was the Henrik Lundqvist team. That was other guys right? like Ryan McDonough. Then he comes to Florida, and he now is suddenly the guy. Like, I don't care that they went up the mountain at West Point or whatever and Derek McKenzie was named the captain. The guy who had the biggest personality in that dressing room when he was in Florida was Keith Yandel. And in many ways, we talked about it, like, it felt like the Keith Yandel team at times. His personality, for better or for worse, defined those teams. And I'm not saying he's a bad human being or even a bad hockey player because he's clearly not. And dude's going to have a great TV career very soon. But he was the kind of the avatar of those Panthers teams that never were able to do what they were capable of. And what, what Tommy thinks of Keith Yandel could give you kind of an idea of 
you know, why I think he defined those teams for better or for worse. And eventually it got to the point where he just was not capable of doing the things he was doing anymore. And the Ironman streak kind of became the reason he kept playing. And you can see in a situation like the Panthers last year where that could kind of become, I don't want to say toxic because it wasn't, like it didn't matter because that other that team otherwise was so good that they masked what Keith Yandel was at that point, and they got to the playoffs where the problem essentially solved itself, and then they bought him out because they knew they needed to take another step, yeah. and Keith Yandel couldn't be a part of that. And now but, Keith Yandel's playing solely because of the streak, and yeah. I don't think that that's a, I don't think that's a bad thing, but like him being able to keep that streak going on a team that has completely cratered and bottomed out. I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think my, my perspective is it's, if that's what, if that's what his goal is, it's competitive, it's competing with against the goal of the team. And that, I mean, when he, what was the main thing the Flyers were trying to do? Rebuild their blue line. It probably would have helped if Ryan Ellis wasn't hurt this year like he was. But, you know, because of that, Yandel had to be a bigger part of it and had to be part of that rebuilding blue line. And instead, he's going, you know, it's about his streak. Um, you know, I don't know. It. I don't want to talk too much about it because, again, at the end of the day, I mean, I would have no problem. I would no have no problem telling Keith Yandel to this to his face too. Like I like I think you're a great hockey player. I think you're a great guy. You know, I'm sure you wouldn't want to spend any time with me after hearing this. But, or in you know, you tell me to fuck myself, or whatever. That's fine. I don't care. But like I, you know, I'm sure you're a great teammate and everything. But I wouldn't have had you be that big of a leader on the Florida Panthers. I would have had you be a support. You know, like. Like a you know, a part of, of the cop, you know, like he's class clown and everything. That's great. I wouldn't have told him to be a different personality or anything, but like, like you said, he was thrust into the avatar, if you want to call it that, the de facto face Team slash mascot. brand slash identity. Yeah, of for for a long for a couple of years, and it wasn't. And they had people that should have been instead of, you know, yeah, we, we can talk. Barkoff was not his. I don't, I don't think. It, no, it's not yeah. Keith Yandel's fault. Like that, that kind of personality is he just took, naturally attractive. He took right? the money. He took the money. No, from the, there's no reason. You know? to do, there's no reason not to. He got the bag. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, it's Florida's fault for being convinced by, you know, his dad who they used to employ. But whatever. I mean, hey, you know, listen, exactly. I'm not going to complain about anybody <laughs> getting the bag. Dude got the bag and good for him. Yeah. But I'm I mean, just, and I don't have any issues with his personality because I like that personality. But I don't think if you're in a hyper competitive like dressing room environment where you're trying to level up and take a team that's not great and get them to that level. I don't think that him being the dominant personality is what that team needed at that time is the best way yeah. I can put it. And yeah. I don't think that – and I think – and again, it's the Iron Man streak is kind of why he ended up – why he continues to play. Now, let me be clear. He's going to get to 1,000 straight games without missing one. That's insane. Like, that is legitimately nuts. We have yeah. to, I have to say that. That is crazy. To play – I don't. I don't know the number. But that's some. But some of the absurdity, 
isn't captured. Like it's absurd. Well, no, some of the it's absurd. It no one, for no one has blown him up, blown him up because of some of the things he he does. Like, I mean, he he he's a sneak like, and I don't mean this in a bad way. This is one of the things I like about Keith Daniel, but like he's sneaky, dirty with his stick and stuff, and in corners and things like that. Like the fact that no one's just taking offense or like he's gotten somebody on the wrong day at the wrong time, and they well, just turn around. And, and you know it. why that is? Is because people don't. Because no player wants to be the guy that ended the streak. Yeah, but I mean, sometimes you don't know who. You know, sometimes you're not. You know, a, a lot. Some people will say a lot of the issues in hockey is they react with aggression before thinking, um, and, and without even knowing who they're reacting to. Um, this is true. This, like so, this happened to Nathan McKinnon multiple times this year, unfortunately. Yeah. So I do want to say it is crazy that he might play a thousand straight games without missing one when getting to a thousand games period is nuts. But I also want to say that if in the end Phil Kessel has a longer streak than Keith Yandel, that would also be pretty funny. And I would enjoy yeah. that quite a bit. I, I mean, I yeah. As, as long here's the, thing. here's the thing. I don't know if Keith Yandel's going to get traded at the deadline because he knows if he gets traded anywhere, he's probably getting scratched. But Phil Kessel is going to be traded. Wherever yeah. he gets traded to, he's not getting scratched. And, That's another and, important And thing. again, I'd have no problem if, you know, Keith Yandel, you know, no problem with it. I just think that when you go to a team like the Flyers in the year, it shouldn't have been a guarantee that he was not going to get set like that shouldn't have happened it basically and, should have been like hey keith yeah. the only team that can guarantee you playing every night is buffalo kind of thing <laughs> yeah arizona i mean like or, a, arizona. Yeah. or, or start I mean, hey start where your career began um yeah, so let's but, get to the flyers and their disaster that this is like they've completely bottomed out and i'm in two minds on the flyers i've been thinking about it leading up to this podcast and the first of this is which might be the flyers uh, opinion right now which is hey Ryan Ellis hasn't played basically all year. He's played like two games. We needed him. We don't have him. Sean Couturier has been hurt. Kevin Hayes has been hurt. And Kevin Hayes has dealt with obviously the tragic death of his brother. So this has been a year in which a lot of terrible things have happened that we have not been able to control and have not gone the way we would have wanted. We can be better next year when things are in a better place. Or the alternative is this team cannot win with the core is currently constructed but we can't get rid of a lot of these contracts because they're too long and too arduous. We're going to have to rebuild. We can't tank, though. Like, we can't trade everybody Why and not? rebuild on the fly. Why not? I, I, think that, I think that's the Flyers' mentality because yeah. they don't think they can rebuild because well, of the market. Now, whether they should, like, actively go tear it down to the studs is another question entirely. And for me... You're already going to be bad enough this year. You're going to trade Giroux. You're probably going to trade Ristolainen. and you might trade other guys for spare parts. You need to load up on draft picks regardless. And next year, they don't have a great cap situation. They only have about $12 million in space, and that's assuming the cap doesn't go up, and I don't think the cap's going to go up after what happened this year with COVID. So they're kind of stuck next year too. But isn't it not a terrible time to be stuck? Because 2023 has the top of the draft that is, you know, two generational players. Yeah, and a, and a bunch of strong contenders afterwards. Um, so yeah, it's, I, it's a pretty strong top five. Like or this six. draft, if they don't end up winning the one or two spots, like if you don't, I, get I don't want to be. Right, I don't, whatever. Don't I don't want to be drafting one because, especially for the Flyers, because, I mean, as much as I I don't think this is the case with Shane Wright, um, it's the guys I'm really excited about that with the potential 
and everything um, would probably be three, four, five, you know. Well, but here's the thing. Like, does, not, the does Shane Wright not feel a little Heischer Patrick-esque to you? Not that yeah. Shane Wright isn't going to be a great hockey player, because he is, but he doesn't yeah, feel but he's, like that he's, kind of transcendent player at the top of the draft. Like, even Owen exa- Power feels a little more transcendent to me than Shane Wright does. Yeah, yeah, the dynamic, highlight reel type of skill and stuff might not always be there with Shane Wright, but his his thing is he brings that out and with of his teammates, he can play with skill. He's he's. Uh, if I don't... he turns into Patrice Bergeron, that's awesome. But I can see for yeah. the teams at the top of the draft this year, like that might not, you know, move the needle in the same way. Of, hey, we're bad in 2022, 23, well, and the top two players are generational players. It's one of those. Well, it's one of the ones where you're not gonna, you're not gonna be. I don't think your your heart's gonna be broken if you don't get number one. As long as you know, if you're just towards the bottom, I think you'll be generally happy with however the balls land like, um, also, such a job, you can yeah. only win two lotteries in five years but i like, don't believe you can win lotteries in consecutive years anymore is that true right yeah so that's what i mean like it's probably best not to have one this year because you're gonna want it next year um and for me like i don't know my my mind frame of what what's going on with them right now is they are not going to do anything but the continual whatever they've been doing until Giroux makes up his mind. So that terrible bullshit press conference they had yesterday um, was all all because they can't officially do anything until Giroux makes up his mind. How is it going to be helpful for Giroux if they if to, to try to keep them and everything. If they come out saying, you know, the, yeah, we're open to a rebuild. Yeah. We're, you know, um, and it doesn't, you know, they have to kind of sell the position of them trying to bring back Giroux so they can get more in a, in a return for him. Um, but I am very, I think the two flyers positions you laid out were very scary. Um, and I think that you're probably right. That, that is how they feel. I mean, I look around at was it Dave Scott, Dave Cameron, Scott Cameron, Cameron Scott, some first. Dave Cameron first. was a former NHL head coach. I think it's right. Dave Scott. Well, the Comcast guy. Yes. I, I I don't think he, I don't, I don't think he knows what's really going on. I, I there there I, seems to be a disconnect from the, the top the, of the Flyers organization to what's happening I, on the ground. Yes, I could not believe. I mean, like, what has Fletcher done? They've they've been they've matched the franchise losing streak. They fired their coach. They picked up Kevin Kanaan on waivers, and they hired John Torchetti, who's basically uh, a, a Fletcher uh, retread and another Fletcher Fletcher retread. I mean, like, what? They're not trying anything. I mean, and then and then. They're coming up and saying they're using the same excuses. Oh, it's a hard year. I mean, I get it. Kevin Hayes' brother died unexpectedly. That's tragic. But, like, you can't be using that as an excuse for why things didn't go well this year. Like, they, you know, you can't be saying, well, Ryan Ellis. Well, you knew Ryan Ellis has barely played any NHL games in the regular season. You knew that there was a good chance at least half of the season he wouldn't be playing. Like, you can't say that you 
didn't think about it or you shouldn't have thought about it. And, you know, they, Chuck Fletcher saying, I recognize it paid a price for Rasmus Ristolainen. Like, uh, basically already, you know, like, how many more, like, this guy, like, I've been so unimpressed with him. Like, it's been worse than his Minnesota mediocrity. I was about to say, like, what is Chuck Fletcher known for? Building teams in Minnesota that were always okay, but never, ever got to the level you wanted them to. And the reason why is not just because he wasn't very good, but also because, you know, the big moves were El- were Suter and Parise, and those guys kind of held the wild back at a point. Like, they couldn't have been the leaders on your group. They were always good support guys. And, I, I mean, I think ownership made that signing for them, obviously. But where we are now with, with Fletcher, and also tying this into what Vancouver and Montreal have done, two teams that have actually thought a little differently about how to build a front office and how to get more out of what you can, you know, see available in the world of hockey right now. Why would the Flyers run it back? Maybe because Bobby Clark likes him? Because we have that that, uh, podcast interview where he absolutely blasted Ron Hextall for the decision to draft Nolan Patrick. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, Bobby Clark's a great storyteller, and yeah, I'll take that Cal McCarr story. But as far as what should be happening in, inside the front office of the Philadelphia Flyers, Bobby Clark has lost that at the right to you're, you're absolutely be taking, correct. Like Bobby Clark should not like be I, dictating I should be what's listened, happening. Now. I should be listened to more than Bobby Clark because, you know, at this point, you just need you you, you can't have the same voices in there that have been saying the same crap. Like I mean, this team, and if this Bobby team Clark needs that 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 and that story makes Bobby Clark look terrible. The yes, I mean if you if you're that I mean I don't know, man. If you're Bobby Clark and you know that kid's gonna be that good, you you make sure it's done. I mean I don't know, but whatever. I I think the thing for me about the Flyers is when I look at what Vancouver has done, they hired a Swedish general manager. You know, I mean yes, Jim Rutherford knew him from Pittsburgh, but there's only two non North American GMs in the league. And right. the first non-North American GM is pretty good, I think, for his constraints. And we never got to see what Patrick Alvine would do as a scouting director and assistant general manager because Penguins never had draft picks. So, <laughs> you know, you yeah. have that. You, you hire Emilie Castonguay, you know, who has an incredible resume and can do a lot of things for a good organization. I've said hire agents. It's not a terrible idea. They bring different perspectives. They can, you know, they obviously have negotiating ability, but they'll see the game a different way. You know, hiring Rachel Dory is obviously something that, you know, is a good decision as well. Diversity is good, but I don't mean just diversity in hiring women, hiring people from different backgrounds. I talk about why the Panthers are successful, and I think it's a diversity of thought. Because Bill Zito brought in people from all different backgrounds in hockey and put them together, and they all channeled their focus into one direction. And everybody works together. And I think Vancouver is starting to do that. You know, with Montreal... Hiring Kent Hughes again is not a bad idea. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to go in a direction like that. Well, it, it, it started. Manager can work. It, it started with hiring a non-francophone decision maker in Gordon. I mean, yeah, I'm sure he speaks a little French and stuff as he well, said. Well, he tried but, to in his, in his yeah. press conference. But, like, but what they not... did is they hired him in a role where he doesn't have to be yeah. the public face of it. Montreal has gone out of their comfort zone. And I think that's what Comcast, like Comcast needs to just go the fuck away. Like you don't know how to run a hockey team. You've proven that now. Go away. 
Like, uh, like just go away. I don't, I don't, and go out and hire somebody who's going to be like a Zito or going, you know, and is going to just think differently because I, I don't understand why you'd go back to Fletcher. I don't understand why they're limiting themselves in the GM search, um, you know, already. And, you know, by getting Chuck Fletcher, you're limiting yourself in your coaching search because Chuck Fletcher is not going to go out on a limb on a coach most likely. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you're – when you take the the guy who just does the average hockey guy move every time, he, that's all you're going to get. Like, And if you try to have him do something different, it's going to go bad. It's not going to be the best way to do that. You need to have – a change agent to do that. And he's not also, a change. I agent. also wonder about like, where do they go in head coach next year? Cause you can't I mean, bring back yo at this point. That, that I think obviously that isn't going to work. Probably. I mean, good chance they might. I mean, you know, like, well, if you're going to tank, that's a good idea, but they're not wanting to tank. So I don't understand that. Like to me, they went with, you know, Ron Hextall hired the college coach and that kind of didn't work. Then you hire the experienced voice in the room, Allied Vino, serial winner, whatever. Oh, it'll whatever. be like Tortorella or something. They'll hire like, Tortorella, though. It just like it just seems like a terrible idea, because like yeah. what this team needs is probably a young coach who can grow with them, and there are a lot of good guys out there who I think could do a a really wonderful job of figuring that out. Because as it's proven, you can get decent young coaches in the league, and it can work. I mean, Andrew Burnett kind of just dropped it out of the sky and has become a pretty decent head coach. The team is pretty good for him, but like right. maybe Chuck Fletcher I, would have done that because he's got wild connections, but obviously I don't think that's going to happen now. But like, that's, that's where my, my questions lie. Like, where are you going? What is the, what is the reason for Flyers fans to get excited other than this team accidentally being they bad don't, enough to maybe get Connor Bedard? They don't know anything other than we need to go for it. That's all that they know that they want to do, but they don't know how to how to framework that out. They don't know how to achieve achieve that or and actualize that. They don't like what's what's the identity of the Flyers? There is none still. Like, are they good at? Are, you know, like what do they need? You don't know. It's everything. I mean, are I? You don't even know where to start. At you know, because are they going to keep Giroux or are they not? Should they move on from from Ellis and Katuri? You know, like all these vets. You know, Fletcher says he's going to be trading a lot, but who are you trading? You know, like seriously, who who you going to like? Who really wants Van Riemsdyk at seven mil a clip for another year? Who who are you going to trade? Like I don't under like that's really going to move the needle of a bunch or, or bring back the, value. My point was stuff. like, even if they wanted to trade some of these guys, I'm not sure they can. And so next year you're basically bringing back, I mean, the depth pieces are going to change, but you're basically bringing back largely the same group, maybe with or without Giroux. I mean, and that group is already proven. I mean, the, none of them healthy, but like that group is already proven that it's not particularly good. So we're kind of so they're they're stuck. I would and... trade. My opinion is trade everybody, every like everybody on the defense, like Provorov, like Ristorining. I trade Sandheim. Sandheim would be a great trade trip to have to, to to move. Like I would just be trading everybody. A lot of guys have expiring contracts, so you know if they're not here, you don't bring them back. I mean, like the the yeah, like I mean, there's some you got to figure out. 
what to do with Kevin Hayes. I think you can probably move him. But I mean, like, I I would just be I want to rip it down and start over. I mean, I've just been I, that's where I was in I the summer, you, and like, every day a, I've improved more and more. A big market franchise right. can do a rebuild if you do it right and you present a plan to the fans that they will buy. Like, I'm not saying that they should do this. I'm saying if they said, hey, Danny Briere is now our new GM. Danny Briere mm. understands what it means to be. I'm giving it as a hypothetical. Yeah. I'm not saying do it. But I'm saying, like, Danny Briere is a flyer. The, the fan base will definitely gravitate to but him I don't, because they have good memories of that. I, I don't care. Like, I, don't, I just want them to build a good hockey team. I don't care if the fan base is on board. They'll win them over. Like, like Philadelphia will show up for this team and back this team when they start playing good hockey. And so just do whatever it takes. I mean, like, they, they had way more patience for Hextel than anyone imagined they would. Like, it's not, like, they will come back. I mean, look at how many people still pack the, the Eagles and stuff. I mean, you they'll, like, they will be able to, with Comcast well, I mean, money, with Comcast money, they will be okay. They will be fine. I don't and, think and that, that they so, have, should have any issue rebuilding. So what big market I, teams can do this. Yeah, and I mean, again, the, the idea is you, you, you strip it down as much as possible from now through next the summer of 2023. You strip it down as much as possible. And then you build up from there and, you know, you're bad for one, one year and you try it, try it again. But I mean, I think, you know, and then you can keep, uh, you know, if Atkinson, you, you keep Konechny, you keep, uh, you keep Konechny, you keep Lindblom and you keep uh, Couturier and that's probably it. I think, that, I think that Flyers fans would definitely understand if you brought in a new GM and you said, hey, it hasn't been working, we have to try this, and you yeah. give them reason to believe, I think Flyers fans, smart Flyers fans, would absolutely say, hey, let's be bad next year, because if we win the lottery, we're going to be good in 23-24, because we've got a generational player coming in. And I think Flyers fans would buy that. When's the last time they've had a generational type player? Yeah. But oh, I mean, with Lindros? But you then, know, like, and if it doesn't, like, I mean, the thing is, whether they get one, two, three, four, or five next year, right? The, the, the thing that matters is if you hire a good GM, that GM hires good people to work in the front office, to work behind the bench and everything, you can work draft picks in any round you can work the waiver wire you can work good trades you can get in a team that that you believe in that believes in each other that is all on the same page and you can start to see positive results quick without you know having i mean it helps when you look at colorado and florida they have a lot of high-end draft picks on their team but it does they're all not all number ones and they weren't all the best players from that draft it's just about you know, getting enough high, getting, you know, getting a little bit more high end draft picks, you know, getting a little bit of everything. So I, I, Philadelphia like, totally if, if, can if, do it. If Vancouver and Montreal can rebuild their front offices to the point where those fan bases, burnt out as they are, but we can believe... don't know that those front offices have worked yet. No. Either I'd, I'd be more looking at uh, Colorado, Florida model where they quickly turned a team from bad to good they, they i mean did. 
you know, and a t- and these were teams that were bad for a while, were stagnated, and just needed to kind of be reshuffled, you know. And Sackick finally reshuffled them and got them to where they needed to be once he got Sherman and and, and some of the other front office, you know, legacy. They hired yet. smart people in analytics. You know, Bill Zito comes in, like, has a plan, and puts it in place. So much of Philadelphia is just legacy debt. Like, legacy trauma, legacy built-up frustration. A lot of legacy decision-makers are still there. Like, you just need to rip and replace all of that and just start building in a direction, in it's, a new direction and go from Oilers there. It's in some ways. Yeah. You know? it, yeah, I mean, this is like, you know, it's like the Oilers hiring Bob Nicholson. Like, Hey, we're not going to hire uh, a Mr. Oiler. We're going to hire a Mr. Hockey Canada. Like it's some difference, you know, like that's what Philadelphia did with Fletcher. We're not going to hire a Mr. Philadelphia flyer. We're going to hire standard hockey guy who we model Philadelphia flyer guys after, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's it, not much different. Yeah, I think it, this fan base would absolutely accept the rebuild. Yeah, I mean, if you did it the right way, the fan base, I think ha- has, taking this so much better i don't know if it's because they have some gritty love or you know the they might the, be the flyer the, the flyer social media apathy sort of like it you know that sort of stuff has helped um you know make make things a little more sardonic sardonic than painful um but you know like i this this is a team that i think is primed and ready to be cut apart, gutted, front office gutted, team gutted, and 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 built up. And, it, yeah, like they're saying we can't do a three- or five-year rebuild. I'm not asking for a five-year rebuild. I'm asking you to take three years, starting this being year one, or, you know, or, you know, this offseason being the first offseason, and then, you know, three offseasons I'm asking you to just – concertedly try to build something new. I don't care if it's hiring Sergei Fedorov as a GM or going in hiring... Chris Peterson, Panthers assistant GM, is going to be the first black GM in the NHL. That's a guarantee because people are going to want to go to Florida and say, what's working with Florida? Let's hire people from their front office. Yeah, I I mean, I I was going to stick more with the Euro trend, but yeah. um, but But even then, like... Chris Peterson has yeah. the model, I think, right now that a lot of teams are looking at. What was Bill Zito? He was an agent, and then he worked a lot in the front office with Columbus. He learned the ins and outs. What was Chris Peterson? An agent with Wasserman. Now he's an AGM with the Panthers. He's definitely heavily involved in the decision-making. You yeah. see that. There's McFarland you know, in Colorado, who's yep, the AGM. Yep, who's, yep. Zach, who's you always... can hire Zach Urbach in Columbus. Hire, I mean, man, like, you know who they should be hiring? Hire Eric Tolsky. Well, I don't know about that, but, but I mean, like, you can, <laughs> I, I you just, can do this. It, it is I, not impossible to do this in hockey at this point. Yeah, but I mean, my biggest thing is until I don't see it happening though, because Comcast, the and the people there will not get out of their own ways. I mean, the all they care about is basically they they wouldn't mind. I don't think Comcast would mind if what Fletcher can bring to Philadelphia is what he brought to Minnesota, which was being in the playoff hunt every year. And as long as they're healthy and the breaks go the right way, they have playoff revenue. And if not, then they can excuse it saying they, they weren't healthy, blah, blah, blah. We'll get them next year. That's the perfect 
it's it generates enough revenue they don't have you know it's low effort i mean i think that's what comcast wants so they Such want with everything lame way I mean, of running a team man uh, but so i mean lame. until until they prove otherwise until they prove otherwise i mean at least with ed schneider you knew that he was about winning you, you know like he you did. knew do you think that they would have had that lame press conference after 13 losses in a row under ed schneider setting a franchise record with their with one of the best players in history coming up to the end of his contract and and, and possibly asking to leave do you think ed schneider would allow that absolutely not that i mean there was no i mean i honestly turned it on and it I mean, there are guys who literally just were smug, smug and no passion. I mean, it, it was terrible. I, I just didn't like it. I mean, it was, you know, they're sitting there saying how much they sucked, no, smug and knowing that they were coming back and nothing was going to change. And, I mean. Well, Tommy, the good news is you have the Panthers, and they found a way to turn it around. Uh, just a couple of yeah. quick things before we start to wrap this up. I do want to uh, mention a few things. First of all, um, the, unfortunately, with the NHL players not going to the Olympics, I'm not as interested as I, I would have been. <laughs> My favorite thing at the Olympics is hockey when the NHL is involved, although I am going to watch the U.S. women and Canada because that's going to be awesome, obviously. Those two teams are great. They're gonna, it, it's one of the greater rivalries in yeah. sports, and I, I can't wait until they play again. Yeah, um, There's a, Claire Thompson, a defenseman from Princeton, is on the Canadian yes, women's we, team. By the way, Princeton women's so. hockey, very important to Tommy, if you haven't figured that out before. Um <laughs> I also want to say that I think there is some intrigue in the men's tournament. Like, first of all, there are a couple of interesting guys who have NHL connections who are going to be on some of these teams. Um, I think the fact that U.S. and Canada have draft prospects, you know, that are playing in college, I think that makes it a little bit more interesting. You know, like, you kind of like, because we yeah. didn't have the World Juniors. Like, I do want to see Owen Power play. I do. I'm interested in Matty Beneers, some of these other players like that. Like, forces me to cool. watch. It does kind of force you to watch. But also, I think, like, there are there are... If you look at some of the connections on those rosters, you know, I think there are some some interesting players on them. Like I was looking at them like, oh, that I remember that guy. Right. So I, I want there, I already have a good drinking game for Olympic hockey. OK. It, and this works for most NHL teams. And it works better if you don't go into the game looking at the roster. But every time. Somebody who skated for the Florida Panthers touches the puck in this Olympics. Drink. Okay, so you will I'm going to go now. You will get to, drunk. Oh, you will get. Well, you'll get smashed really quickly on Canada. Corbin Knight. You remember Corbin Knight? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Jason Demers is on Team Canada as well. Yeah. Yeah, I remember him. Uh, who else do we have? Um, uh, Team China is a. Yeah, I'm not going to bother with that. Uh, on Germany, did anybody play for uh, – no Marcel Gotch on Team Germany, though. That's a shame. I like Marcel Gotch, though. He was a, he was a, he was a good player. Um, was there anybody on the on the, on the Team USA? Stephen Kampfer. Stephen Kampfer definitely played for the – Nick Shore, he did. Nick Shore did. Um, who else? Michael Repick, he definitely did. First-round pick. Michael Froelich, that's a former Panther right there. Um, Russia, hmm, who we have? Russia, there's... Gusev? Yeah. Nikita Gusev did. Um, I think he's the only one, but there are other guys. Like A lot of these guys like had a cup of coffee in the league or were once prospects that never worked out. Um, I'm trying to think who else is in Switzerland. Like, they're, they're, like they're, it's always... Dennis Mulgan's on Switzerland? That's cool. 
Hey, it, yeah. was, it was one. It was one trade that uh, that our that our old. Oh, uh, can uh, we can we talk about that? So, obviously, Marshman has a great game, and and again, Marshman has worked out. He's become a a solid everyday, you know, bottom six NHL guy who can slide. Can I quote the Bob out. Ross? Uh, we don't just have um mistakes; we have happy accidents. Right. Yeah, but I mean, if anybody, like. The Leafs fans going like making fun of Malgan or whatever because of the trade. Like, no, like those trades when they happen, you can't ever subscribe a winner to at the end. You know what I mean? Because it's just kind of like, all right, Mason Marshman at the time wanted to get out. He wanted to try a new organization. Dennis Malgan, same thing. They were like AHL deal for AHL deal. Both both teams didn't expect anything to come of it uh both teams you know didn't have any you know good or bad it was just kind of a move to satisfy player demands and uh i mean mason marshman played a lot of echl you know there was yeah, yeah i mean he's and he's not you know a three goal in five minute uh or three points in five minutes of ice time type of player usually or ever. So <laughs> continuing our list of former Panthers, how about Hari Sateri? Remember him? Yep. Yep. I remember him. Um trying to think about who else. Rodrigo Abels, he was on a Panthers contract for a while. Yep. I yeah. mean there are some I mean there are some again, I think um oh isn't um I think one There's of the guys a, who's Emil Juice. Emil, Emil Juice, Juice yeah, he was a, he was a Panthers contract for a while. There are a couple yep. guys like in Slovakia, I think. They have one of the draft prospects this year is going to be on their team as well. Yeah, Jacob is, Kos, I think, or Braden. Um, yeah. No, it was Czech, but also Simon Nemec is on the team Slovakia. He's a draft prospect, I think, very highly regarded. So, like, there is reason to watch the men's tournament. La- the last time out, there really wasn't any reason to watch the men's tournament. I mean, in this... This tournament, the real funny thing is going to be you're watching it and you go, wait, I remember when he played for the NH uh, for some random team. Like, right? Like, I'm yeah. going to go on. I'm like, wait. Oh, Lucas Walmark's another one, right? Remember remember <laughs> Lucas Walmark? I do. Like, there's some interesting guys on every team. They're like, oh, right. I remember when he, that he played in the NHL. That's, that's a cool thing. So, like, I think it's not going to be terrible. Obviously, it would have yeah. been fun to watch the, with the men. But um, in the women's tournament, it's obviously great. You should watch the U.S. and the – and the uh, and it's good for the PHF, by the way, that their salary cap's going up and they're um, expanding the league. I think that's really good for women's hockey. Yep. I, there's some positive signs I, in the women's game. I, I'm still more of, of a uh, the uh, the PHF world tour. PA. Yeah. I, but I think I think the PHF getting to a point where it's reaching some stability and it's able to pay players more and the quality of product is getting better. Like that's like that's good for the women's game. I think it, it offers choice, which is great. You know that that's something we want to see. And as Some... the game starts to get better, like the investment, like it's a matter of who builds the best. Right. From but my what's going my to come perspective, my perspective is a lot of the highest end hockey players are choosing to not are actively choosing to not take part in that league and do something else. Because they see it as more beneficial. Well, the other thing that's going to be interesting for the women is is who retires and who gets hired by an NHL team when the Olympics are done. (laughs) Because I think there's a good number of people who are going to end up getting hired by NHL teams. Which, again, there's no reason not to. They're smart about hockey. Why wouldn't you? Uh, I will want to make a couple of other things to mention briefly. Uh, Looks like the Arizona Coyotes are going to spend three to four years playing in a 5,000-seat college rank. Oh, boy. 
I, I, I still think this is all I leverage think, to playing Glendale. I do, but I think, I think it's time. I, I this, this is time for Gary Bettman to leave. It, I mean, he's they need to move Arizona. I mean, or or have somebody who's going to have a strong arm and 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 find a permanent solution and just make it work. This the whatever shepherding and stuff that Gary's done has not has not worked. Um, we know we we now know too many of the skeletons in the NHL's closet that Gary has happily and gleefully kept, um, whether it's concussion stuff, uh, brain trauma, whether it's uh, emotional trauma and abuse. Um, we know a lot of the damage he's done with the salary cap, hockey really revenue escrow the lockouts uh we're poised for probably another one because the players are pissed off about broken promises with the olympics um because he couldn't deliver there uh, you know the, the list goes on and on it, it is i think it's more and more you, you will not arizona is going to be in arizona until bettman's gone you know mm. the, there's going to be the nhl is going to fight tooth and nail to hide every bit of evidence or testimony in, in all the lawsuits and stuff with concussions and, and, and all the abuse and stuff that's going that's being uncovered until Gary's gone and replaced with someone who thinks differently. Um, you know, and, and let's be honest, if they moved Arizona, Arizona to Quebec players would have a lot more money in their pocket. Escrow. would Well, be I less- wanted to make my, I wanted to make my comment because of the Brad Marchand escrow comments at the Carolina Hurricanes and- Twitter account. That yeah, was kind but, of funny. I like I like that, but what I need to see from Panthers fans is if they play Boston in the playoffs, you need to start chanting escrow at Brad Marchand just for the trolling purposes. Yeah. And, but here was my first thought about that, and nobody brought it up. I should have brought it up when that tweet was going. I'm like, hey, Brad, if you're really worried about escrow, why didn't you lose to the Leafs in one of those playoff series? You would have made bank if the Leafs advanced in the playoffs. Yeah, or, I mean, or the other thing is how come the players are always – happy to give up escrow why you know why are the players well, always happy to give up Alan es- Walsh response to that tweet and and brad marchand was like buddy this ain't that kind of discussion that was but it kind is. of funny i have but to it is. i mean but but i mean if you're gonna go and say this this organization is the reason they played 20 percent in escrow no the reason you paid 20 percent in escrow is because you've you agreed to the deal where if the owners aren't guaranteed x amount of profit you give them money so they get a profit because you believed in that business model of owners having guaranteed uh, profits even at your own expense. That's why you pay that escrow because you, Don Fair, who also probably needs to go because of thing, uh, multiple things. You know, you, you didn't art, you didn't advocate for yourselves because you know anytime they want to do something they want to go to the olympics they want to do this they want to you know they want to have a taxi squad they want to have a you know they, they want some sort of safety measure guess what players pay for it Every, you know that's and that's what the nhl goes if you want it you have to take it out of escrow and then the players go okay it's not Car- carolina you know carolina themselves doesn't do that it's jeremy jacobs the owner of the Boston Bruins, who's the it most, you know, yes. who who's the most, who's the biggest reason players even under know what escrow is. These guys who just played junior their whole lives, you know, yeah. like, uh, yeah. Anyway, everybody, is there anything everybody else in the mention? NHL is so anti-workers, even the workers. <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to mention on this show? I think that's a great way to end it. 
Um, no, other than Claude Giroux, please leave. Like, <laughs> like, don't, like, you, like, in a sense, you deserve to go chase a cup. You deserve to go beyond this. But also, help help the Flyers move forward by moving forward yourself. They so, won't. So where do you they, want to go then? There's no Colorado or Florida. Selfishly, but also they're the two best chances. Uh, but I think Colorado is where he fits in the most, um, if I'm being honest with you. I think Colorado can probably pay the most and get away with it. Um, I think Boston would probably be the second team he fits in the most. I don't know if he can win a cup there. Uh, and I know you Toronto. Know place for him? Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but to me, if I'm Claude Giroux, if I'm Claude Giroux, I'm I'm making a list of the four teams. I think four to six, maybe at the most teams, I think can win a cup, and I'm keeping it to those teams. I don't think Minnesota gets on that list. Fair enough. Anyway, that's been a wonderfully exciting, long, brilliant podcast. We have a lot more to get to in the future. Stay tuned for a couple guest shows. Things might lighten up a little bit when the Panthers don't play because they just had fewer games postponed. But why hockey will continue during the Olympics. Plenty of good stuff to look for. And again, uh, keep your eyes peeled. Good stuff coming down the pike. Thank you again for listening to our rambling nonsense. And uh, good night and good hockey.